You are tuned into the Dr. Tina Show with Dr. Tina Moore. For more, visit drtina.com. On this episode of the Dr. Tina Show, I'm going to get really raw and honest with you and share with you a bit about what I used to do in the past, which was musculoskeletal medicine. And what I came to find out during my many years in the field of musculoskeletal medicine as both a chiropractor and a naturopathic physician who did a whole lot of regenerative injection therapies, I got to mingle in the entire world of orthopedics. And what I'm going to share with you today is about why I think orthopedic medicine is a scam. This is going to piss off a lot of people and it's probably going to make me some enemies, but I... I'm so tired of watching human beings be handled in this medieval way that I want to set the story straight. Here's the deal. So I've got notes. I don't normally take notes. I normally freestyle on these things, but I've got notes. I've got receipts. (laughs) Here's the deal. First off, your joints degrade. And I've, I've done episodes on this in the past. I did one with Dr. Sean Baker. I've done, I've talked about this in the past. Your joints degrade because osteoarthritis is diabetes of the joint. Plain and simple. It's metabolic dysfunction of the joint. That's what it is. If there were a mathematical equation, it would be your nutritional status plus the amount of movement you do in a day that would equal your metabolic health. And that would tell me the condition of your joints. Now let's add to that this sort of immuno, it's not really autoimmune. It's it's this sort of way that your immune system, it's like a contribution, if you will. Immuno contribution. <laughs> That's the word I'm looking for. It's an immunomodulated phenomenon that happens in people. And I, I don't see this distinctly talked about in the literature. And if you have some kind of immuno-driven arthritis, they usually run a whole ANA panel. They want to look for autoimmune markers of all sorts, rheumatoid factor. You've probably heard some of these terms. And then those often have a, commonly, they will have a false negative and so the person thinks, oh, well, I don't have anything wrong with me. But in fact, they have synovitis. And what synovitis is, is it's an inflammation of the joint capsule. So metabolic dysfunction is happening inside the joint. The person's immune system is lit up. And I'm not going to get too far into this, but that, just trust me. The, the, the person's immune system is lit up and they have got this synovitis, which is causing a whole lot of pain. And then we have ligamentous and tendinous contribution. Where ligaments and tendons meet bone is called the anthesis. It's a transitionary area. It's not distinctly ligament and then distinctly tendon. The The cell type shifts and transitions from ligament to bone or tendon to bone and collagen to bone, right? And it's highly innervated. And so it hurts like hell. And so what is usually wrong with somebody is their metabolic dysfunction has led to more pronounced ligamentous laxity, let's add to it that they're probably really deconditioned. I am describing literally the average US adult, right? This is like, unless people are actively combating this, this is the category that most US adults fit in. There's no wonder, I mean, 2018, a study showed 94% of US adults had metabolic dysfunction. That was in 2018. Or it was a study that came out more recently, but it was data from 2018. Like, that's a disaster. And we're in 2023 now. I am 100% sure it is now 100%, right? I mean, the average American reported gaining something like 25 pounds, 29 pounds, just in the first year of the pandemic alone. It's been a rough go. It's not everybody's fault. I'm not saying that. Cortisol is a beast and it will definitely, you know, give somebody a whopping dose of cortisol from excess stress, which we've been living unmitigated stress, right? This ties in, trust me. (laughs) And they will have, you know, weight gain. And so weight gain contributes to orthopedic conditions. We're told it's wear and tear, but I promise you it's not just wear and tear. So, but the, the, you compromise the cartilage, you compromise the tissues, you compromise the soft tissues in there. It's inflamed. And now you're, you've got this cofactor of added additional weight crushing these poor chondrocytes, these poor little cartilage cells that are just trying to live, they need to live. Your cartilage cells need movement and rest. They need to be stimulated or they won't be robust and resilient. And they can't be like churned down, right? They can't just be ground down. That kind of thing does happen in some athletics. I would say, you know, tennis, golf is a big one. Anytime you're planting and pivoting, 
you're going to have some grind in the knees. And I've seen, of course, seen this with a ton of different athletes, but I'm just saying, generally speaking, most cartilage degradation, when people say, oh, I'm bone on bone, I promise you 1% of those people got there from being too athletic. The rest of them got there because their metabolic health was busted. Now you can be super lean and have bad metabolic health. It, this is not, this does not discriminate. So that would be that kind of skinny fat, you know, phenomenon I talk about, the TOFI, the thin on the outside, fat on the inside. That's a really, really bad form of metabolic dysfunction. That's actually probably worse than being obese and metabolically unsound. So if you're really thin and you're like, I'm 50 and I can still fit in my jeans from high school, but you don't lift weights, uh, I promise you we have a problem. And you're probably fat and bones. Those people don't have a lot of leeway at all because now they've got frailty added on top of it. Bottom line is, all of this adds and contributes to joint degradation. I also see a lot of joint degradation in vegans and vegetarians. This is one of the reasons I am staunchly against vegetarian and vegan diets. Their joints just melt. You have to ingest collagen to make collagen. I'm going to say that again. You have to ingest collagen to make collagen. And you can't make collagen if you're not eating it. And the only place to get it is from animal sources. It is what it is. I know that sucks to hear for some of you, but that I, I probably don't have a lot of vegans and vegetarians following me, but I don't have a personal issue with people being vegan or vegetarian. I was a vegetarian and man, my joints are a mess because of it. I live it. I've seen it in clinic. I wouldn't even take vegetarians and vegans on as patients because they didn't heal. And I feel like it's incredibly unethical. I will get to the part two of this episode another day, but I did regenerative injection therapies for over a decade, very busy practice injecting people's joints. I saw everything. I saw everything come through that you could think of in an orthopedic fashion. And I dealt with a lot of it. And I'm what I'm about to tell you is probably going to piss you off because the way we've been taught is a total scam. So I just made a case for how 99% of people's joint issues are due to their lifestyle and dietary habits and exercise habits, sleep, stress, all of those things, or lack of sleep, I should say, stress, those things are going to, inactivity, all those things are going to contribute to elevated cortisol. And elevated cortisol is catabolic, meaning, you know, you're rocking a lot of cortisol from stress, your poor adrenals are cranking it out. It's literally going to cause more pronounced ligamentous laxity. It's going to cause degradation of the tissues, like it's literally catabolic. It literally melts your tissues. So I'm talking your own endogenous production of cortisol. Like you're stressed out, you're cranking it out of your adrenal glands. So what's the standard of care when you get hurt? You guys all know this, right? It's rice. It's rest it, ice it, compress it, and elevate it. Now I'll give you the elevation and I'll give you even a few minutes of ice, but I do not subscribe to that. I subscribe to meat, which is movement, um, analgesics. We want to, we want to move it or motion. I can't remember. We want to move it. We want motion. We want exercise. We want analgesics and, you know, we want touch or therapy. Do something to it. That's how I understand me. I know that that acronym probably is something to somebody else, but that's honestly how I understand it. So you, you, when I get hurt, I just got hurt really bad. I just had a really bad back injury. I know it's like constant for me these days. That's because my hormones, because I'm perimenopausal. Hormones are a huge contributor here, right? Also. So uh, when we are low in estrogen, we're not as juicy. We're just not as pliable. I, I think of like a dried out chicken breast that's overcooked and left on the counter. That's low estrogen. <laughs> that's why you start tearing this shit out of yourself as a perimenopausal and menopausal woman if you're active, which I have been doing. So it's not uncommon. Treated that a lot too. I would, those would be the women I'd be like, you have to go get hormones. You have to go get bioidentical hormone therapy because you're tearing. So progesterone is critical too. And I, I would say maybe more so. And obviously testosterone is critical. It's anabolic. So as these things start to wane, we start to have issues. So anyway, let's go back to the rice. Rest it, ice it, compress it, elevate it. I'm I'm down with the compression. We don't want things to get way too swollen. I am not a bracer or booter. Uh, I, I'm not big on that. I'm not a big fan of bracing a joint, to be honest with you. I am a huge fan of moving the joint. So I'll tell you the best ankle sprain I ever had. I used to get chronic ankle sprains and severe because um, I wore I wore Doc Martens for so long that my ankles got super weak. And so then I just would sprain my ankles anytime I was not in a pair of Doc Martens and I was running around. So it was a disaster. And I also got super anorexic and skinny during that period. This was like end of high school, early college. So I didn't have any muscle. I didn't have any control of my ankles. They were weak and the proprioceptors were 
not in use because <laughs> they were booted all the time. So not a big fan of of really compressing things. I do like uh, compression for pain relief. Uh, and I don't obviously want things to swell out of control. And of course, if you have a surgery and you're in the hospital, they're using compression boots to, that's really just to keep you from getting a blood clot. So we want the elevations nice, but we want movement and we want to move as soon as humanly possible, maybe even before you think you can, right? Like you might have to push through the pain. And I'm not talking the sharp shooting pain. I'm talking like the low naggy, I don't want to pain. It might be intense, but it's not that like high pitched, high pitched pain we listen to and we don't, we don't want to, we don't want to push that, but you know the difference, right? And we, I want to heat it. I want to actually, oh, the T's temperature. I want, and therapy. I want heat on it. So I, I cook it. I, I get in the sauna. I use hot pad, heating pads. I, I cook it and I get it warm. Uh, I really mess with it. So that's the other tea, you know, the tea on meat, I think touch temperature therapy. I massage the region around it or it actively. I am sticking acupuncture needles in it as soon as possible. I want to, I, as I tell my patients, fuck with the tissue. Like, and I mean that, like poke at it, mess with it. Don't let an injury get stagnant. Don't let that happen. The blood supply, especially if it's ligamentous or tendinous issues, the blood supply to those regions are really poor and you don't get great healing because you don't have a good vascular supply. So that brings me back to this ankle sprain. I fell in a hole on my way to do a triathlon. (laughs) It's so funny. It was a sprint. It was like a little one. I didn't know what I was doing or getting into. I was a good swimmer. I could cycle and I could run. So I was like, I'll try it. So I fell in a hole on the way there big hole, like groundhog hole. And I had just started in chiropractic college. Unfortunately, my colleges, they had a sports med team and they were there on site and it was awesome. So I went up to this girl who like, it was literally like the first week of school, maybe the second week. And I had seen her in the halls and she was a more senior student. And I was like, Hey, I just fell in a hole (laughs) and I have to go do this. I have to go start the sprint triathlon, which is so funny. So she adjusts my ankle and I was like, wait, what? And she literally adjusted it. She grabbed it and what up and gave it a big old pop, wrapped it and said, go. And I swam on that thing. I ran on that thing and I cycled on that thing and I finished it. And it was such a severe injury, you guys. I mean, normally that would have been a huge swelling issue. There would have been, I would have braced it with a boot. Like I always do those puffy boots you can blow the air into with the hard sides. You guys know what I'm talking about. I have like way too many of them. I would have done all that nonsense. I would have taken NSAIDs. I'm going to tell you in a second why that's a terrible idea. And I would have done all the above and it would have taken weeks, if not months, and it never would have healed well. I went back to school Monday and I was fine. I was walking around in flip-flops. It was cold, but I had flip-flops on because my foot was swollen a bit. And again, I love mobility. So I wear flip-flops and Ugg boots all the time, or I'm barefoot, or I'm in wide slippers. I never wear shoes if I can help it. Shoes are a disaster. So that means foot binding, plain and simple, right? So or get a natural shoe like Vivo or, I mean, some of these shoes are so ugly, but some of them are decently cute, you know? So anyway, that is how I got over that ankle sprain. And I was completely convinced after that. I was like, this is the way. <laughs> this is it. And she said, don't take any ibuprofen. And I was like, okay, here's the thing with ibuprofen. So NSAIDs, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, like ibuprofen, Advil, those drugs shut down the healing cascade, the inflammatory cascade, which is the first part of the entire healing cascade of collagen. And I went over this in detail a few episodes ago. The episode is called movement, or I'm sorry, motion overrides pain. I always say uh, movement is medicine. It's motion overrides pain is the title of the episode. It's like literally two episodes ago or so. And I talk about the whole healing cascade, but I'm telling you, if you shoot it in the foot on the first 14 days, it won't go to fruition and you get really subpar collagen laying down and it's a disaster. So that's how people end up with these naggy, persistent injuries. So we've got people doing that. And then that probably happens in their teens or their twenties, right? When they're active in sports and then they gain weight and then they get metabolic dysfunction and then their joints start to erode. Because when you have high insulin in the joint and you have high leptin in the joint, it's a disaster. It's like a disaster of inflammation. And this is happening to your bones as well. So I say osteoporosis is metabolic dysfunction of the bones. That's it. 
your your muscles, your joints, and your bones are all like BFFs. And so what's happening to one is happening to the others. If you have sarcopenia, if you have muscle wasting, if you're losing muscle mass because you're not doing anything and you're getting older and your hormones are going down, just, I mean, I am combating it actively right now. This is real. Five years ago, I could gain muscle so much easier than I can right now. This is real, what I'm telling you, and I'm only 49. So it, unless you're actively combating muscle loss, you are becoming more sarcopenic and the muscle is getting marbled with fat and being taken over by fat, which potentiates the metabolic dysfunction and what's nearby, the BFFs, the joints and the bones, it's all getting melted by this chronic inflammatory metabolic dysfunctional state. This is why I tell you to lift weights all the time, <laughs> all the time. Constantly, I know I say that, but I'm telling you, if people would just eat more meat and lift weights, you can, you can ask my mother. My mother will be like, so I have a friend and she'll tell me about some condition and we have a rule. I don't like that, but I don't like being asked those questions, but it happens. And every single time I'm like, mom, what's my answer? What is it? What's my answer going to be? She's like, eat more meat and lift weights. I'm like, yep, that's the answer. I've been saying that for well over 10 years. I know I say it on Instagram now and people still, it's so weird to me that people still are arguing this point. And in fact, we've gone even more pro, you know, hating the meat eaters, apparently now being carnivore and coffee, drinking coffee, being carnivore and uh, drinking milk are all racist now and white supremacists. So we can add that to the list. That's, that's the latest headlines. Anyway, we know that NSAIDs inhibit healing. We know this from studies that happened in the 90s where they took rabbits and they pithed their cartilage in their knees and they gave one group ibuprofen and they gave the other group no ibuprofen and guess who healed faster and better? The people who, I'm sorry, the rabbits who, people, the rabbits who had ibuprofen didn't heal and when it did heal, it was just muckety goo. So listen to the, the episode I just mentioned. That'll give you a lot more details about how this all works. Fractures, orthopedic doctors know that fractures don't heal if you give ibuprofen. That's a known fact. So anybody doing bone surgery of any sort, or if you have a fracture and they say, take ibuprofen, I would question them because that's not a great idea at all. Tylenol is the other over-the-counter pain helper. You know, people take Tylenol and Tylenol can melt your liver. I talked about this on the other episode as well, so I won't go too far into it. It can literally just spontaneously melt your liver. Truth. So not a huge fan of the Tylenol unless absolutely necessary. In fact, when I take Tylenol, I'm so careful that I I feel a little uh, worried. <laughs> I literally feel worried every time I take Tylenol. I'm like, I hope this doesn't go bad. So, all right. Again, ligamentous laxity due to underlying elevated cortisol, inflammation, which everybody's rocking metabolic dysfunction, deconditioning, poor nutritional status now or in the past. I have taken care of patients who came from, you know, Vietnam who escaped horrific malnourishment, horrific starvation and came to this country and didn't have anything starting out either as children, you know, like really crazy stories. And their joints in many cases are a mess, especially if they get on the sugar. Sugar does crazy things to your joints, you guys, and I have never verified this with anybody else because when I ask other orthopedic doctors about this, they look at me like I'm crazy. But I'll tell you something, I could see in people's joints under ultrasound whether they were sugar addicts. I could see it. It would make these little swirls off the edges of their bones. Their mo- their vertebrae would like mushroom out and their if they had arthritis in their hands, the bones would literally have these like little almost swirly, almost Dr. Susie kind of bone spurs. So that's a big one. Keep the sugar. Again, what do I always say? Be careful with your sugar intake because it's not great for your joints. All right. So I just made a however many long minute argument for the causes. This, this, I am not making this up. (laughs) I did this for a long, long time. This is the cause of most cases of people's joint dysfunction. Yes, there's trauma. And yes, we hurt the joint. I get that. We have traumatic injury, but the large portion of people dealing with knee pain right now did not have a traumatic injury. They just got too overweight and their knees started barking at them and then the whole thing melted down on them. So hips too, hips, knees. It might be a past injury from a long time ago that's starting to act up. Again, these same factors are involved. These same factors are still to blame. Alcohol is another big one we can throw into the pot on this one. So 
you know, just take your typical 50-year-old who's having a few drinks every night. Maybe they're thin, maybe they're overweight, uh, metabolically not in great shape. And it was a rare day, you guys, that people came in and legitimately were super fit and hurt themselves. Although my whole practice, excuse me, ultimately became that group of people towards the latter years. Um, Initially, when I was just seeing everybody, because it became application only, when I was seeing just everybody, it was like disaster zone of just deconditioned people who weren't taking good care of their bodies and their health. So this is what happens. This is why I say orthopedic medicine is a scam. You go to the doctor, most doctors, and bless them all, but most doctors have absolutely no clue what they're doing when it comes to musculoskeletal medicine. They like got through that part of school as quickly as possible, took a few uh, board exams on it, and were, they're out. <laughs> that was it. I know this because the naturopathic community, by and large, is horrific at musculoskeletal medicine. The ones that are good are the ones that took particular interest and made that their entire four years, and they doubled down on it. Otherwise, not a big fan of naturopathic doctors injecting you or doing orthopedic medicine on you. That's the truth. I love my ND friends. I love my ND friends who do prolotherapy and injections, but the strong suit of naturopathic medicine is not musculoskeletal medicine. Same with MDs. In both cases, most don't even know their anatomy. So they don't know what to palpate. So they don't actually know how to diagnose you orthopedically. A lot of the doctors I know and love that are doing injections don't have great diagnostic skills. So take it for what it is. But I have trained up several and they are awesome and I made sure of it. So I trust in their abilities because I put them through the gamut to make sure that they were great. That doesn't mean everybody's the same, you know, but I would look for somebody who's either been doing, if you're going to look for a regenerative medicine doctor, look for someone who's been doing it a long time or look for somebody who's got specialized musculoskeletal training, you know, over and above, whether it's massage therapy, chiropractics, whatever, that would be my advice. That doesn't mean that the ones who don't are terrible, but I'm just saying in general, anatomy and musculoskeletal medicine are not MDs or NDs high points. Now DOs, DOs went through pretty rigorous musculoskeletal training. Even if they're practicing just as primary care physicians, they still, I would say, have a more decent musculoskeletal background for sure. Um, They can hold a conversation about it for sure. Chiropractors, hands down, like the pros at musculoskeletal medicine, good orthopedic docs, especially the ones that are like sports med that look like they're fit. Now that's not always true. A lot of them are surgery happy still. I'm going to get to that in a second. But generally speaking, if somebody looks like they're fit, then I'm going to, I'm going to trust them more because I know they're using their bodies to the edge of its ability. I know they're pushing themselves, right? I follow people who live the way that I want to live, which is to push myself. There is intentional pain in working out, and that intentional pain makes you more resilient, more rugged, period. And it makes you able to withstand everything better mentally and physically. And actually, studies show that people who strength train are calmer in general when the shit hits the fan. So (laughs) trust me, if the shit's hitting the fan, I'm going to find the people who strength train. (laughs) And I'm going to, I figure I'm going to have better outcomes with those. Not just because they're warriors, which they are, but uh, probably because they're thinking a little more clearly. So stick with the fit people. Anyway, you go to the doctor. They don't know what they're doing. They practice cover your ass medicine, literally cover your ass medicine. They order an x-ray because the patient demands an x-ray. X-rays only look at bone, just FYI. They only look at bone. What did I just get done telling you about orthopedic issues, right? They're predominantly soft tissue issues. They're not bone issues. I barely mentioned the bone, maybe an osteoporosis, but it's the cartilage, the ligaments, the tendons, the joint capsule. It's rarely the bone. And so X-rays, we're only going to show you if something's wrong with the bone and it's going to show you diminished joint space, but it's not going to tell you much more than that. And I can already tell you if somebody's knee is driving them crazy, they probably have a diminished joint space. I can look at that. <laughs> I can feel it with my hands. If if you're good with your hands, you're like, oh, hey, your joint space is significantly reduced. I can look at that with an ultrasound. Ultrasound in office is not expensive anymore. Anybody who's worth their salt in orthopedic medicine should have one at this point. Then they're going to send you for an MRI. And interestingly, they have to get a pre-authorization. Usually, this is the steps the insurance company requires. X-ray, cortisone shot, you fail the cortisone shot, you get the MRI covered. If your doctor argues for the MRI because they think it's ridiculous to put the cortisone shot in, which I'm going to get to in a minute, then lucky you, you get an MRI first. The MRI is going to show you soft tissue issues. I have known many radiologists, and I'm going to tell you something, and 
many cases, and I've heard these words come out of their mouths, MRIs are written to justify surgery. So they are written to look horrific. It looks horrific. What you read in front of you is like, oh my God, this is terrible. And the person in front of me is not at all that clinical picture. So oftentimes, unless you have a really ethical radiologist, they're writing the radiology report to justify surgery. And that has been my personal experience from people that I know who are in this field. So anybody who says otherwise, I'm sure there are there are definitely, definitely ethical orthopedic doctors and radiologists out there. But by and large, this seems to be the model. So, okay. So this is the fun part. The radiologist gets the MRI done, looks at it on his desk. It brings you into a dark room. Now, this is not your doctor anymore. This is the radiologist. And they say, oh, look at how horrible this MRI looks. And they tell you all the scary things. And then they tell you, you know, we have time. I can put you back in the machine or I can move you into this room. We can do a cortisone injection today. And you're like, well, yeah, I mean, this looks so bad. Of course, let's do the procedure. So now they do the cortisone injection for you. So they're making money on that. They're making money on this next set of imaging to do the procedure. They just made money on the MRI. They made money on it, reading the MRI report. And in my opinion, I just told you guys, I spent 10 years in a very busy musculoskeletal practice. I, I maybe ordered five MRIs. I'm not joking. I'm not even exaggerating. And most of those were because of litigation because the patient was had been in a car accident and needed some kind of legal proof that there was tissue injury. Otherwise, like my hands told me what to do. I didn't need to put the patient through that. And that, how much money is that? I'm not, I, who, who even knows anymore? So this happens a lot, you guys. And I know that if you stop and think about your older friends and family, that this has happened to them. They went in to get an MRI because they went to the doctor and the doctor said, you have low back pain. That's the diagnosis, literally low back pain, not what part of the low back, not specifically what's wrong with the low back, not what muscle, not what ligament. That's how we diagnose as chiropractors, down to the ligament or tendon. Nope. They just say low back pain because they can't really diagnose it. They do a series of tests and they're like, oh, well, I guess so. Cover my ass. X-ray. That's a massive, that used to be, I, I actually just found out, which is really cool, side note, went to the ER with a family member. She had to have a chest x-ray. Um, super cool new machine. They just wheeled it right in. They took the chest x-ray and it was such a minimal amount of, usually that's a whomping amount of x-ray, radiation. And so is the low back. That's why I'm not keen on low back and pelvic x-rays. It's a lot of radiation going through a lot of important organs right down there too, right? That's where our ovaries are and our testicles. So Turns out this, this radiologist tells, or radiology tech tells me that the shields we used to use, we used to use these little lead shields over the ovaries and testicles and genitals to block and breasts to block the radiation. It turns out the x-rays may have been getting under there and actually scattering and causing more problems, which I was like, oh my gosh. And then secondly, these new machines have hardly any radiation, which was so cool. He literally just propped her up and shot the picture. It was the neatest thing I'd seen. Uh, but even just a few short years ago before this new technology existed, x-rays really were a womp and load of radiation. So I was not super keen on taking those on patients either. If it wasn't going to change the treatment any, I didn't see a lot of point in the imaging. Some people want images. I get it. Some people want to run labs when we can tell you what's wrong with you without the labs, but I get it. My point is they're way overused, way, way, way overused. And then they take you down the pathway to another thing you probably don't need. So cortisone injections, what did I say about cortisol? I said it melts your tissues. Well, cortisone injections are significantly stronger and they really melt your tissues. So we have ligamentous laxity, cartilaginous damage already. We've got metabolic dysfunction in the joint. Shooting cortisone into somebody actually puts them in more of a diabetic state or more of an insulin resistant state. And it causes systemic impacts from that high dose of, of cortisone. So you've got like this whole body phenomenon happening, which is really bad, which is actually making the metabolic syndrome way, 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 way worse and pushing these people towards frank uh, diabetes. And then it's adding weight often. Uh, if people get especially more than one cortisone injection, forget the joint. I'm going to tell you what it does to the joint in a second. It can add quite a bit of weight to these people. They go into a uh, Cushing syndrome it sucks. I mean, I've seen this happen time and time again, and it's it's really tragic and terrible. So cortisone's catabolic. It melts the joint. It melts the cartilage even more. It's already melting in there. 
right? I already told you about the insulin and the leptin in there and the metabolic dysfunction is melting the joint. Well, it causes further melting of the joint. That's how it works. It inhibits your immune system because your immune system is way overactive in these joints and it hurts. I totally get it. I mean, it's miserable. I understand wanting relief. The doctor says, we're going to give you a cortisone injection. It'll make that all stop. And it does. It's awesome. It shuts down the immune system and you feel way, way, way better. Your nerves stop screaming. Everything's better for a short amount of time. And then it all comes back and sometimes it comes back worse. But what we just had happen is a worsening of the joint architecture and structure and integrity. Like, the whole thing just got made worse. The ligaments got more lax because the cortisone is anabolic. I mean, catabolic. It chews up your tissues. Think of cats. We just had worsening of the degradation of the joint in general. More ligamentous laxity means more wear and tear as well. I didn't say that earlier, but when ligaments are unstable and the joint isn't being held in the position it should be in, it starts. It does start to wear on that cartilage. And so um, an unstable joint is an unhappy joint. And an unstable joint that has internal joint derangement, the muscles surrounding that joint will actually fire aberrantly. So they won't fire the way they're supposed to. So now the whole joint complex, along with the musculoskeletal tissues, just literally starts to break down. And this is, and then things potentiate and get worse because now the axis of rotation on that joint has changed and it's no longer, think of the, you know, ball in a cup. It's no longer sliding the way it should. It starts sliding weirdly and you see this sort of cyclical disaster. And then the person stops moving because of the pain. And this is either pre-cortisone injection or post-cortisone injection. And the only way to get nutrients in and out of a joint is through movement. I talk about this on that other episode I mentioned. So they're not pumping out all of these horrific metabolites and because they're not moving. And then on top of it, all this, it's a, it's a, hot mess, literally. It's a hot mess of a joint happening. And then we throw cortisone at it, which is like a fire extinguisher for a second. And then there's rebound. Same goes with ibuprofen. People who take a ton of ibuprofen for pain constantly, they're doing horrendous. I did a whole episode about this, you guys, about what Advil and NSAIDs do to you. But not only is that happening systemically and they're not allowing the joint to heal, but because they're constantly shutting off the healing inflammatory cascade, it actually there's a rebound phenomenon that happens when you are taking high doses of ibuprofen and you stop. I've seen this happen multiple times with patients, young and old. They stop and all of a sudden the pain just roars. It's like a rebound. It's almost like a withdrawal pain, but it, it's not the same mechanism as withdrawal, but you get my drift. It's a mess because the fire is not being held at bay because they're not, you know, think of Advil, excuse me, as like a little fire extinguisher and then think of cortisone. Usually it's a combination of both and these people, it's just a disaster. So I want to mention for a second, low back pain. Low back pain is all of this stuff plus more. So if you have chronic low back pain, that is a, that's a whole other thing. I should probably do an entire episode on it actually. <laughs> we'll, we'll just pause there uh, on that and I will come back to it for part three. How about that? Because low back pain is like a whole other beast. So we've got the MRI, we've got the cortisone injection, this, we've got the NSAIDs. This is 99% of you I'm talking to and you, you're you hearing me, you know who I'm talking to. If this if the shoe fits, you know this. This is no fault of your own. This is the system that put you into this. You've probably been taught to ice it. Now icing inhibits the inflammatory cascade too. So people want to ice it all the time. None of this is a good idea. So now things are so bad, you're either a surgical candidate or you're not. And I'm going to tell you, Usually you're not a surgical candidate in this scenario where it's just metabolic dysfunction and like, you know, the the slippery slope of inflammation I just described. If it's not a traumatic injury, if it's just this sort of low-grade degradation, you're not a surgical candidate. They're going to wait for you to need the whole joint replaced. So you're going to be in miserable hell for decades until that joint needs replacement. If you are a traumatic injury and you're, say, in the age group of like 35 to 45 and you make money... The doctors are going to love you and you're a cash cow for them because they're going to pull you in and be like, we're going to give you a cortisone injection and then your MRI was so horrible, we're going to get you in next week for surgery. This is exactly what happened to my husband. When I told him that orthopedic medicine was a scam and I told him this whole scheme here that I'm describing here, he was like, oh my God, that's exactly what happened to me. And I'm like, no shit, that's exactly what happens to everybody. The orthopedic surgeon, he's your bro, right? And he knows you work for a living with your body or you're busy or maybe you're a kiteboarder or you're active. You know, you might be like 
you might be like a rich active dude who wants to get back to his active life, or you might be the blue collar guy who's like works for, you know, uses his body for a living. In either case, you're, this guy's your best friend because he's going to give you a cortisone injection. You're going to get back to work for a little while. It's going to melt the joint. He knows it's going to melt the joint. And then he's going to bring you back in for surgery. And he's going to tell you like, oh, I can get you in right away if you need to. Then you're going to have surgery. And then your shoulder's going to pop, click, and hurt for the rest of your life. And you probably didn't need the surgery and unless things were severely severed. And when they say full thickness tear on a MRI about your shoulder, about your, when they tell you that you've got, you know, you tore your rotator cuff and they tell you it's a full thickness tear, that doesn't mean necessarily that the t- the tendon detached. It may have... And sometimes it's vague on the report, I'll say. I've had to call a few times. I'm like, is it detached and retracted or is there just a tear the full width of the tendon? It's hard to tell. So sometimes, now if it has fully retracted, of course you need surgery. You got to put that tendon back on. But most of the time, it's just a tear through the full width of the tendon and you don't need surgery and your tendon's not going to snap. You tore the crap out of your one of your rotator cuff muscles. There's a few of them. And it hurts. We have solutions for that. I'm going to do, that's the other, that's the part two. I'm going to talk about prolotherapy and regenerative injection therapy options. That's what I used to do for a living for a long time. I was really good at it. I was really busy with it. I taught lots of doctors how to do it. I'm well-versed in it. And I'm going to give you the honest to God truth about it because even that industry has gotten shady. Okay. So Back to you, the patient. So you've had your first orthopedic surgery. We have an old saying in orthopedic medicine that surgery begets more surgery. So they, they know you're just going to continue on being a surgical candidate. And in between, they're going to give you cortisone shots to manage your pain. And you're going to continue to gain weight. And you're going to continue to get more Cushing-like because of the high cortisol, Cushing disease-like. And you're going to continue to get more diabetic because of what the corticosteroids are doing to your body. And on and on it goes. Oftentimes that cortisone injection will go into you in the office. I've heard horror stories where people didn't even get informed consent. They didn't even know what was happening. Next thing they knew, old guys behind them with a needle in their shoulder. No par cue, no informed consent. What's a par cue? A proper par cue is what should have been happening throughout this entire last two years. It's what the procedure is. It's what the alternatives are. That's the A, P-A, R is risks. You have to fully tell them the risk. So if they put cortisone in your shoulder, they should be telling you that it's going to melt your shoulder worse. It's going to make you feel better short-term, but long-term it's actually going to cause more joint degradation. They should tell you that, but they don't ever. And then Q is questions. You ask the patient, do you have any questions? I was so damn ethical about it. I said, I'm going to leave the room and let you come up with some questions because I wanted them to have a minute to think about it because I know... When thrown a lot of information, especially by somebody like me who talks fast, um, that can be really overwhelming for people. And I want to make sure that they have a minute to process what I just said, and then I'll come back in the room and they can ask any questions about what I just shared. Procedure, alternatives, risks, questions. Every single time a doctor does anything to you, that should be the conversation. That's what's legal. Just so you know, you can ask for it. Say, I would like a par If they look at you like they don't know what that is, then I would probably leave the office because that is your legal right as a patient. And that's what all doctors should be doing. It's what should have been happening the past few years, but wasn't. But we won't talk about that here. So if you're a Medicare patient, you're a whole different beast. And they were, it's a whole different scam. They milk the crap out of you. They just milk the crap out of your Medicare. And in doing so, they melt you. So if you are a little old lady and your joints hurt, my first bit of advice is to eat more protein and start exercising regularly. Get in a pool, get in a silver sneakers. If you can't weight bear, get in a pool and make it a religious act until you can. If you can walk, walk, start lifting weights, get enough protein. As we age, all of us start losing the ability to digest our foods as well and absorb them as well. And so, because everything atrophies and so does our stomach lining and so do the digestive juices and so does the stomach acid. So especially if we're stressed. So we want to be getting enough protein and we want to be getting enough movement, period. And then if you can strength train, that's the best. Like that's phenomenally better. Now, 
I don't want to get into like how to strength train on here, but I will just say, you guys don't have to be lifting heavy weights. You just have to be weight bearing and then adding some weight as you go and find someone to work with. You know, there's opportunities out there that are affordable. I promise there's group coaching, there's online, although I would prefer eyeballs be on you, especially if you're elderly, you see all these great videos of like these 95 year old women holding onto their coach's forearm doing squats. That's what I'm talking about. That's, that's what we got to be doing. All of our old people deserve so much better and they're just locked up and left. And I know I've been in so much pain that I couldn't move. And I watch family members be in so much pain that they can't move. But I'll tell you the one thing that, and I said this on the other episode, the one thing that I noticed about my patients that I were, I was honored enough to work with when they were in their eighties and nineties was, and my mom is the same. She taught me this. If you stop moving, you die. That's it. I mean, that's, plain and simple. You stop moving, you're going to die. That's the beginning of the end. So we have to keep moving, you guys. I don't care what size you are, what age you are, what condition you're in. I have seen people on crutches that couldn't walk without crutches turn into crazy high-level yogis. There is always a way and we have to find that way. Everybody has to find that way. And we can't use lack of motivation and money and all these other time, all these other, these are all excuses. There are there is always a way. I know plenty of people with no money who are super fit. It's it's about perseverance and tenacity more than anything and making a decision. So that is what I wanted to share. That's the scam that they put you through. There is an alternative. It's called prolotherapy and regenerative injection therapies. It is a wonderful, beautiful modality. Uh, I specialized in it for a long time. I don't do it anymore and I have no idea how to refer you to anyone. So please don't email because I can't make referrals. But And I can't even tell you a website to go to to find people who are trained well in it because you can buy your way onto those websites. So I, <laughs> some of the people on them, I wouldn't let trust, I wouldn't let near me with a needle. But um, you can research this and you can look into it and I'm going to do a whole podcast on it so you guys can learn more about it. I've talked about it a little bit on other podcasts, but the solution, if, if, if the, if the problem and the root cause was what I described at the beginning of this episode, then I would imagine the solution would to start with would be as obvious, right? So that means get your metabolic health in order. And you guys can grab my metabolic revamp. It's super inexpensive. It'll get you started. It's got all of the worksheets and handouts and guides to get you moving. It's, Everything I've said for free a million times only in some documents that you can have and hold in PDF form and you can refer back to and you can read more about it. So it's just an organized way of putting my thoughts together of all the things I always say to you. But and maybe some new things you haven't heard. There's a recipe guide in there. I talk about all about how I eat. I talk about um, what supplements I like recipes, there's beef-based recipes in there. Somebody had a conniption the other day on the email and was like, you mentioned vegetables, but you don't eat vegetables. Yeah, I know. I don't I don't eat vegetables. But as I've always said, I do not give a shit how you guys choose to eat. I don't care how you eat. <laughs> I don't. And I'm not telling you how to eat. And I didn't even make the guide as a, this is what you should eat. The guide is written as how I eat. That's why it's called the How I Eat Guide. And I share in there how I eat because people have asked. So make of that what you will. If you want to eat vegetables, there's some delicious recipes with some delicious uh, vegetables in them. I don't choose to eat vegetables very often. And again, I'll just say this, totally as an you know aside, just because I mentioned to avoid something does not mean that it's an all or nothing thing, right? I eat popcorn sometimes. I eat sugar sometimes. I eat the things that I tell you to generally avoid. That means generally avoid, right? I made coffee today in an AeroPress that's plastic and I put hot boiling water into it and I tell people, stay away from heated plastic with your food. We do these things sometimes. It's okay. It's called being human. I'm a grown up. I can handle it. Hopefully you guys can too. I say that with love because people get obsessive on their health journeys and it gets crazy in my inbox <laughs> and I'm really tired of it. So it's okay. You can have a little bit of something and still avoid it generally like the plague, right? We live and learn. But if you are highly allergic to something, probably don't want to eat any of it, right? I had gluten once in the last 
oh, now it's been twice, I should say. In the last, like, I don't know, six years, I had gluten. Ah, oh my God. And the world didn't end, right? But I don't eat gluten in general. I avoid it like the plague. But sometimes I will, it was delicious sourdough and it was homemade. So I had to go for it, right? Once in a while, I'll have a glass of wine or champagne to celebrate. It's very rare. I used to have alcohol and then I quit alcohol. And now I can have a glass once in a while if I want it. I all full disclosure, we don't drink because my husband's an alcoholic. So, and then I was catching up with him because he was drinking and I was like, I'll drink with you. And next thing I knew, I was dumpy and feeling crappy and my joints all hurt. That's why I'm sharing this. My joints were really, really, really inflamed and they hurt really badly. So that was a big reason for giving up alcohol. Anyway, we're allowed to have things in moderation once in a while. The problem is, is when I tell people that they don't understand what once in a while is and they go full bore and it's ridiculous, the stories I could tell you. So if you're addicted to something and you have no control over it, get it out of your house and don't eat it at all. That's how I do things. I quit things and then I I quit smoking after, oh gosh, I don't know, 11 years or so. I smoked a pack of cigarettes a day. I quit smoking hate the smell of cigarettes. Every blue moon, I take a drag and I'm like, oh, it's gross. Don't like it. Feel like throwing up now. But it doesn't mean I'm going to jump back into smoking, right? <laughs> it's, it's just a drag of a cigarette. I share this because this is the, if we had more of this, like reasonableness of just not being addicted to everything and chasing the dopamine dragon all the time, I don't think our joints would be melting. So, I share this because I think it's a critical piece of the puzzle. Um, if your joints start feeling better as you start making changes, especially dietary, I will tell you, like, that's a huge driver. There are foods you're eating that are making your joints hurt. And so when I eat gluten, you bet my back hurt that night. And I woke up with back pain and I was like, oh, I ate gluten. And there you go. I'm not going to do it again, probably for another several years. It's okay. But listen to your arthritis and your arthritis will tell you. And I, I, I'm telling you, most people who end up with cortisone and surgery could probably turn the ship around if they had this information. And even the worst of them could turn the ship around to some degree if they had this information. And the good part of, best part about this is if you go into surgery and you're metabolically sound, the chances of you healing and having good outcomes are significantly higher than if you weren't, if you were still a metabolic mess. And in fact, your chances of dying or getting an infection are super high if you're diabetic. So, and your corticosteroid system's all screwed up because you've been having cortisone pumped into you. Like that's actually not a great way to go into surgery at all. So, and a lot of doctors won't treat people if they're too obese. So I understand that this is a slippery slope, but I'm encouraging you to nip it in the bud and start implementing good metabolic health measures. Download my metabolic revamp, check it out. Uh, we'll put the link in the show notes. Make sure you're getting some kind of regular movement. Find somebody, start with acupuncture. Start there, get some needles in there. Needles do wonderful things for joint pain and then do some research on prolotherapy. Find somebody who can do prolotherapy on you. I will do a whole episode on this coming up here to tell you more about what it is. And make sure you're doing all the things, getting sleep, getting sun. I love red light. I absolutely love red light. I affiliate with a company called BioLite. I love them. I will put the link, the affiliate link in the show notes. It'll give you a nice discount. I like their shine unit. It's a small little portable unit. I absolutely love it. And that thing, my daughter stole mine. My, I had to get my parents one. Um, I had to replace mine. Like cannot brag enough about that small unit and how just useful it is in general. And then make sure you are keeping it moving, right? Just keep it moving and keep it stimulated and don't let it go dead on you because it hurts. Because once that joint kind of gets ignored, which you know what I'm talking about, I've done this myself, you just start ignoring it. You disconnect from it with your brain. And um, I think that disconnects your immune system and attempts at healing, to be totally honest with you. I think the minute we disconnect from our painful regions, they freeze up and they die away. And then it's just a nightmare, right? It's just a nightmare of pain after that. So that is my best advice. This is why I think orthopedic medicine is a scam is because they're not even addressing it on the root cause level appropriately. All of the therapies and interventions that they have are 
potentiating that mess and that, that hot mess of inflammation and not helping it. And nothing that they do actually helps the joints heal. So to all of my friends out there who are orthopedic doctors, you know, I love you. You guys are the good guys. The, those are the ones I met through the conferences doing prolotherapy and regenerative injection medicine, which is like super punk rock for those guys, because that's way against their standard of care. And anybody, any MD who trains in prolotherapy is a badass in my opinion. So I will leave you guys with that. I will be back. We'll do part two coming up here. I don't know if it'll be next week, but I'll talk to you about spine pain um, at some point. And I'll talk to you about prolotherapy and regenerative injection therapies. If you guys like this show, I would love if you would go ahead and rate it and subscribe on your favorite podcast player. It, that means a lot. You can head to my Substack, which is where you find this is where the podcast is hosted. I'll make sure it's there in the show notes as well. And you can head to my Substack and subscribe there. That way I'll email you out the episode every week. It goes out automatically when it comes out and you know, rate and review and subscribe where you can just so more people can have an opportunity to hear the truth. We will be back next week. Thanks for listening to the Dr. Tina Show. Please be sure to follow me on Instagram at Dr. Tina, that's D-R-T-Y-N-A and Dr. Tina 2.0, as well as visit my website at drtina.com. This is a Resonant Media production produced by Drake Peterson and mixed by Chris McCone. The theme song is by John the Guilt. As always, you can email the show at podcast at drtina.com. And if you like this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. See you next week. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. It does not constitute the practices of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. I am a doctor, but I am not your doctor. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and the materials linked to this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content on this podcast is intended not to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice from any medical condition they have, and they should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions. Do you suffer from IBS or other digestive issues? Are you looking for a new podcast to listen to? From the producer of The Dr. Tina Show comes the all-new health and nutrition podcast, Digest This, hosted by Bethany Ugardi. You may know Bethany as the face of the popular Instagram page, Lil Sipper, or you may have even read her book. Now you can find her wherever you get your podcasts. On Digest This, Bethany examines topics such as gut health, nutrition, the food industry, and highlights specific ingredients that can be beneficial or harmful to your gut health. She also explores non-toxic options in beauty, home, and cooking essentials. If it has to do with your health, Digest This is talking about it. Each episode features an interview with health experts, doctors, and wellness advocates and delivers you information that is... Well, easy to digest. Bethany also delivers a weekly segment every episode called Bite of Knowledge, where she highlights an ingredient commonly used in food, skincare, household cleaning, you name it, and gives you the lowdown on the benefits or dangers that ingredient might have in your everyday life. From Botox, potassium, olive oil, and magnesium, all the way to those ingredients you can barely pronounce on the back of your cereal boxes, Bethany has you covered. There's a reason why it debuted at number two on Apple Podcast Nutrition Charts. Check out Digest This on your favorite podcast app. New episodes every Monday and Wednesday. Produced by Drake Peterson and Resonant Media.